Hey, thanks for joining us here on The House Podcast. We hope that you are encouraged by this message. If you want to learn more about The House, check out our website at welcometothehouse.com or download The House app. So fun. So yeah, go ahead and put your hands together for my husband, Adam Clousing. Uh, thanks. You know, it, it's, it's not every, uh, every time that you get to preach that you have your wife introduce you. Man, I'm like, hey, you can come back up here. No. <laughs> uh, but seriously, good evening and welcome to the house. It is good to be back in the house here this evening with you guys. Uh, man, it, it's, it's great to be back in the state of Arkansas. You know, I was a little bit worried I was going to miss out on all this great cold weather. You know, being down in Belize, and, but, but thankfully, thankfully, you guys ordered up some for us, and so we could really, you know, experience, you know, that great, uh, you know, cold breeze against your face. Um, but, but, but in all seriousness, it's, it's great to be back here, and, and, and actually, you know, kind of as we've talked about our transition over the last six months, uh, one of the questions that we get a lot is, you know, how have you done with adapting to cross-cultural ministry? And I'll just be honest. We've, I feel like we've had some of the best training by being here at the house and just learning um, from Pastor Stephen and Katie. And so um, would y'all put your hands together? They're watching tonight on the live stream. We, we just owe so much um, to what they have done and what they have imparted into our lives. And so we are thankful um, for uh, what you guys have given. And so uh, Pastor Stephen talked a little bit about our organization that we are with. Um, we are not just the rogue missionaries who just say, all right, peace, we're, we're going to go travel Central America. We are with uh, Be The One, uh, Be The One Ministries. And, um, and Be The One was started by Pastor Stephen and Katie with the, uh, really the passion of seeing young people activated in their faith. To be the ones like David who, when the rest of uh, his brothers in the nation of Israel like, I ain't going to go fight that giant. Like, are you going to go fight that giant? I'm not doing it. That David was like, yes, I know the God that goes before me. And because of that, I will be the one to go forth and we are going to slay this giant. And so that's what Be The One is all about, is calling people into a real and authentic faith. And so in the last, the last six months, we've just absolutely seen this take off. And, um, and, and speaking of Be The One, we do have a couple uh, summer opportunities that I want to make sure that I tell you guys about. We're not going to talk a lot about them, but we have a local mission trip coming up this summer. Um, we also have an uh, international mission trip and then a summer internship that we have opened up applications for, and I, I believe we already have a couple applicants about it. Um, and so we are excited about what God's going to be doing uh, down there um, or through in Belize and also here in the States as well this, uh, this summer. And, uh, and, and so if you guys are interested in finding out more about what we are doing, and we got some brochures and then a, a couple refrigerator magnets out there. Come on, we need some refrigerator art uh, in, in the house here. And so uh, we would love to talk to you guys more um, right after service. Um, and I know, you know, obviously we recognize that we haven't been here for seven months. So I recognize that there are some people here that I haven't got a chance to meet yet. We would love to do so after service. That's one of the things that we love about the evening service is that we don't have to rush out because there's not a service after this. So um, we, we'd love to uh, take the time to get to know you, get to hear your story um, about what God has been doing in your life. So today we're, um, we're going to be continuing our series called Building a Life That Counts. Now, I don't know if you got a chance to listen to Stephen uh, Hill talk about um, building a life that counts last week, 
But let me just tell you, this man is a multidimensional leader. Not only can he lead worship with the best of them, but man, this guy brought an incredible word. And so go on, um, you know, you can watch it on our live stream or you can go back and listen to it on the podcast. But um, truly, truly an amazing, amazing word. And so my, uh, Pastor Stephen mentioned a little bit about us, but I recognize that uh, since I don't know all of you guys, there's probably some of you guys like, well, who's that guy on stage? And so let, let me just tell you a little bit about us. So, so as Pastor Stephen mentioned, we, um, uh, we've been married for six years. Actually, Pastor Stephen married us um, way back in the day. We've been here with the house since day one. Um, can you believe it that we are coming up on six years of the house? It, that's actually like mind-blowing. I'm like, there is no way. <laughs> it is impossible. But I, I guess, you know, time flies when you're having fun. And so uh, I, I left my job um, as an engineer at J.B. Hunt about three years ago to come on staff here at the house. And, um, and really what that was doing was that was a preparation um, and a season of preparation for what God had put in our heart. Um, both Courtney and I knew um, really um, as a, almost kind of as, as we were married that we um, had this calling on our hearts to go to the nations. And so um, when we came on staff here at the house and we were just excited about what God was doing and what God was preparing in our hearts, and so that kind of culminated to June of this past year, where we packed all of our possessions on a old yellow school bus. No, not a magic school bus. Actually, kind of a rusty school bus, if we're being honest. Um, and huge shout out to everyone who helped us with that. Um, that was um, just amazing seeing the way that our house family came alongside us um, to send us off. And, and so we sent that bus down through uh, Mexico to a little, little tiny called Belize. Um, a little tiny country down there, and it's got about 400,000 people, so it's, it's actually less than the entire population of northwest Arkansas. Um, uh, down there, it's, uh, um, there, there's a couple different um, things that we've learned along the way, um, one of which is that Belize is the only English-speaking country in all of Central and South America, so if you are hoping to practice your Spanish on me tonight, probably not your guy. No hablas espanol. That's about all I got. And even that probably wasn't even said right. Um, and, uh, and so Belize is truly an amazing place. God is doing some amazing things down there. Um, you know, and, and to the outside world, I, I recognize that a lot of people probably look at our decision of going and doing, um, you know, international missions of like, really, Adam and Courtney, like, like now is the time? Like, now is the time that you guys wanted to go? Like, I, you, know, I, you know, far be it for me to second guess, but this doesn't really seem like the best time to go and do missions. I don't know if you've heard, but there's kind of this global pandemic going on right now. And, and I'll be honest, like there's a legitimate fear of, yeah, yeah, there is a chance that they could, you know, shut down the world and we would not be able to return back to the U.S. Not to mention uh, in Belize, we've had 7 p.m. curfews and I have had more brain swabs with those tests um, in the last six months than I can even begin to count. But in spite of all this, we have felt just such a clear purpose from God. And the reason for that is, is we actually found out that 80% of foreign missionaries in the last two years have had to return to their home country because of what's been going on in the world. And so we found ourselves thinking, man, this is not the time to pull back and say, okay, let's just wait it out. You know, hey, maybe things will be better next year. You know, let, let's try again next year. But instead of realizing, no, there's a generation of young people 
that are hungry for something that's authentic and real that only Jesus can provide. And so now is the time to actually press in for more of what God is doing. And so God gave us just this clear purpose in our hearts. And through this, we have learned so much about his heart for the nations. So speaking of uh, learning, I, I thought it'd be fun. I'm going to share uh, five little lessons that, that we have learned um, in our time in Belize. Well, I say we. It's more me. Courtney probably already knew him because she's way smarter than me. But, um, but five things that I have learned uh, in Belize. And so the first is that speeding tickets are a good thing. I know, I know. Unpopular opinion. Unpopular opinion. But the next time that officer comes up to your window and says, Sir, do you know how fast you were going? You look him straight in the eyes and you tell him, Officer, I just want to tell you thank you for doing your job today. You're just really, really getting it. I appreciate it. And the reason why is because in Belize, there's not really any speeding tickets. Because speed limits are just kind of optional, you know? And now the only problem with that is that when speed limits are optional, so are other rules of the road, like stopping at stop signs. And, and so one day, uh, we're coming home from church. I got my crew, got my family, got a couple guys that we take with us. And, you know, just enjoying a beautiful Sunday. And we're, you know, we're cruising down the road. And I noticed this motorcycle coming right at me in my lane. Now, you know, I'm like, you know, hey, maybe, maybe, maybe he's confused. You know, it's still early. It's like 11 a.m. You know, maybe, maybe he didn't get the memo of like, hey, your lane's over there. And, and so I do, you know, what any, you know, responsible human would do. I politely just tap on my horn, just informing him, excuse me, sir, I don't know if you know, but you are in the wrong lane. And what does this man do? He lets me know that I'm number one with that not so friendly finger. <laughs> I'm like, excuse me, I am in my lane. I, I, I had no worse, no worse. So rules of the road are a good thing. Lesson number two is a good steak is worth the price. There's a saying in Belize that goes a little something like, if it no bun, then it no done. All right, we're, we're, repeat it after me. Okay, we're going to have a little crowd participation here. If it no bun, then it no done. Okay, one more time. If it no bun, then it no done. Hey, now you guys know Creole. Um, so no, that is, let me translate. That is not talking about your cheeseburger buns. It's, if it's not burnt, then it's not done. See, if you roll into a restaurant in Belize and say, you know, I'd like a steak, they're not going to ask you if you want that rare, medium, or even medium well. No, the only way you get that steak is well done, burnt to a crisp, blackened through to complete hockey puck status. <laughs> Let me just tell you, there's no E. coli within a mile's radius of that thing. It's also not exactly gourmet either. Um... But lesson number three, lesson number three, is that when packing a bus full of all of your earthly possessions, know where the title of the bus is? Yeah, as you can probably imagine from that title, uh, after we had packed the bus with everything that we owned, and, and let me just say, we, I mean, the, the, the guys that came out and helped us pack, I mean, we did this thing efficiently. Like, there was not an inch to spare and so shortly thereafter, I recognized that the title of the bus was still in the filing cabinet, which was in the middle of the bus. But not to be dismayed, what did I do? I went straight, Jason Bourne climbed up on top of the bus, came in through the emergency hatch, which thankfully had blown off while we were going down the highway. Uh, like I said, not exactly mint condition. 
and, and I crawled across a number of boxes until I finally got to the filing cabinet and thumbed through every single file that we've ever had in our entire life. And after sweating a couple gallons of uh, sweat in the uh, July heat, I was able to retrieve the title of the bus, and we were able to send the bus on down through Mexico and through the borders and customs. And so, note to self, plan ahead. You know, know about those important documents. Lesson number four is, this is kind of a public service announcement, but America, the land that I love, we can do better at answering phone calls. I know, I know. Maybe it's a millennial, maybe it's a Gen Z thing of like, you know, I don't really want to take that phone call right now. I just don't know if I have the mental energy for that. Or, or maybe, you know, you've just been getting up you know, getting a lot of spam calls, but let me just let you know, my phone number is actually still the same as it was here. So, so if I'm calling you, that, that's not somebody spamming you. And so I, I kid you not, probably like 80% of the time here in America, I feel like it goes to voicemail. And, and my, I myself, as a millennial, and, and part of the problem, and you know, it's like, I don't really know if I want to take that call right now. I, I get it. I get it. But in Belize, in Belize, I'm telling you, when that phone rings, it's like Patrick Mahomes evading defenders, like hopping over picnic tables, diving through windows to go and answer that phone. Like it may be a quarter mile away, but by the third ring, they got there. I don't know how, but they did it. Like 90% of the time, like it gets picked up. And so consequently, I've had to get a lot better at answering phone calls. Speaking of phone calls, uh, lesson number five is let me show you real quick the art of the Belizean phone call. Here's what you do. Dial the number you want to talk to. Boop, 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 boop. Let it ring a couple times. Wait for the other line to say hello. And then hang up as fast as you can. Now, if you did it really well, you hung up within like one second. One second of them answering. And what you just signified is the national symbol of Belize signifying that, good evening, sir. I would like to inform you that I am out of minutes and credit on my phone plan. And so I now need you to use your minutes and your credit that you paid for to now call me back. Like I said, it, it, it's an art. It's an art. Now, all, all jokes aside, one of the most powerful things that we have learned in Belize is about the power of hope. And especially as we're talking about building a life that counts. It all begins with a firm foundation, which is anchored in the hope of Jesus Christ. Now, I recognize hope can mean a lot of different things. You know, I hope the Chiefs make it to the Super Bowl. You know, I hope, I hope we make it to church on time. Mm-hmm, yep. I hope it doesn't rain. I hope God hears this prayer. I hope, I hope it's not cancer. And one of the things that we recognized from the moment that we arrived in Belize was that with a country like Belize, this you know, incredibly poverty-stricken and further depleted because of the effects of the global pandemic, there's one of the biggest issues we've seen is people's hope was gone. And so the title for my message tonight is, It's Time to Hope Again. It's Time to Hope Again. See, each week for the last six months, we have met um, for weekly discipleship meetings in what we call Activate Clubs. So you'll, you'll hear me talk about Activate Clubs. Those are our weekly discipleship meetings. And I think we maybe even have a couple pictures of those that you guys can put on the screen. And, um, and so our 
our Activate Clubs is really where we want to see young people activate their faith. And so one of the ways that we do that is, is we really have a lot of group discussion with what we do because we recognize that when you speak with your mouth, it engages your heart. Now, one of my biggest wake-up calls and was when we asked the question to this group of, hey, you know, what's, what's something that you're passionate about? Now, I've asked this question, you know, many times here in the States, and, and I'll be honest, most times young people are excited to talk about what they're passionate about. You know, even if I don't fully understand what it is, like, man, they are, whew, they are passionate about it. And so it's exciting to hear what people are passionate about. But when I asked this question in Belize, not a single word was spoken. Not a single answer. And so I followed it up with another question of, well, what's, what's one marriage that you would say you look up to? And once again, not a single word was spoken. Not a single marriage that they would say they look up to. And it was in this moment that I realized that the biggest issue in Belize is not hunger. It's not poverty. It's not even human trafficking. The biggest issue in Belize is that their hope has been stolen. And when your hope has been stolen and you have no hope, there is nothing to build upon. It's impossible to build a life that counts if you don't have anything to build that life upon. And so a short story that um, I want to share with you guys, and I have a couple different stories I'm going to share with you all here tonight. Um, And and I've changed the names of of some of the people that um, we talk about. So if you come down to Belize um, and see us, you would be like, hey, I'm looking for this one person. And I'll just be honest, I I changed their name. Um, I I, I talked with them beforehand, and um, they're like, yeah, absolutely, share my story. Um, and so um, truth is, is that a lot of Belizeans actually tune in and watch our live stream. And so would you all put your hands together for um, anyone tuning in today from Belize? Thank you guys so much for watching. Um, it, it's, it's a ton of fun being a couple thousand miles away, seeing you guys all here in sweatshirts. And I'm, I'm down there in a tank top, you know, just watching church. No, I'm, I'm playing. So, so one of the... Um, one of the first Activate Clubs that we kind of, as we were getting going, we'd probably been meeting for maybe three weeks or so, and, and there was these three girls uh, that would come in, and, and they were just like unusually disruptive. Now, I, I'll be honest, like I'm used to, you know, working with energetic people who like to talk, and I, I'm okay with that. But like anytime that, you know, uh, someone would speak up and start to talk, they'd be whispering like, and, and it's in Creole, so I can't understand what they're saying. And, um, and, and so I did what any young leader would do. I confronted them. Well, I don't know what I said, but this, the, the kind of the leader of that three girls, she just, boom, just like walked straight out the door. Just, just gone. I'm like, solid. Our small ministry just now got smaller. We're thriving here. But Courtney walked out and began to talk to her. And this girl, her name's Giuliani. She looked Courtney straight in the eyes and said, look, lady, not everyone has a hope in a future. My dad does drugs, my mom's never around, and I have a reputation that's not a good one. Now, let me give you a little bit of background about this village. In this village, a lot of the young people that come out of this place Uh, come from a past of abuse. Um, There's essentially no fathers um, in the household. Um, A lot of the houses are no more than just a one-room wooden shack. Um, It it would make even some of the poorest houses here in Rogers look like absolute mansions in this village. Um, 
really one time we showed up to, to do like an outreach at the basketball court, um, and we were excited to go play some basketball, and the basketball court had just been completely overrun by drug dealers. And, and two of the girls that actually come to our Activate Club has, have confided in us that they think that they're gay, not because they're interested in girls, but because any guy, man, or boy that they've ever talked to has objectified them and made comments about their body that would just make this absolutely disgusting. It would make a rated R movie look like the Disney Channel. And so we found ourselves in this village recognizing that, wait a second, there is something far deeper going on here. And so as Courtney began to speak to Giuliani, she didn't tell her about all the things that she had done wrong. She didn't try to, you know, whip some fancy new theology on her. She spoke to her identity. She spoke to Giuliani's identity. And in that moment, the binds that the enemy had tried to steal her hope from were gone. The chains began to fall. Tears began to flow. And Giuliani's hope was restored in that moment. So much so that this girl actually went on and and she's become like one of our best leaders in this entire village. She's invited like half of her village to come to our our Activate Clubs on Wednesday nights. Even more so, we had a Christmas party as we were kind of finishing out the year, and Giuliani invites the most feared drug trafficker son in like the whole area to come to our Christmas party. Now, how do I know that he was the most feared drug trafficker son? Because when I go to walk everybody home at night, um, it, it's kind of in the dark, and the village is kind of dangerous, so we walk everybody home, and, and I'm walking down this path, and I, and I turn to walk this young man to his house, and... And, and they look at me and they say, Mr. Adam, you, you got to stop there. You, you got to stop here. I'm like, well, what are you talking about? Like, I'm 29 years old. I can handle my own. I'll be fine. And they're like, no, no. If you go any further, you, as a foreigner, you might get shot. And I was absolutely stunned in that moment. Not because I was concerned with my own security, but because here's this 15-year-old girl who has such a hope in Jesus Christ that she actually dared to invite this young man to come to an Activate Club. And we were actually having a Christmas party that night, and he, she actually takes a gift from her house, wraps it up, gives it to him, because he doesn't have any money to buy a Christmas gift, so that he can come and be a part of our gift exchange that we are doing. All so that he can hear about the hope of Jesus Christ. This is what the power of hope does. Now, don't get me wrong. Like, there's been some ups and downs along the way. Like, there's been some weeks where Juliana's kind of pulled back a little bit, and she's tried to hide a little bit. But time after time, when we go and find her, she keeps on leaning back to the hope of Jesus Christ. You know, being in a new country, you, you discover a lot about yourself. The first thing you learn is how um, poorly trained I am at anything in regards to house maintenance and uh, repairing anything around the house. Um, Just absolutely terrible, terrible at it. But one of the things I did discover that I was pretty good at is people watching. Yeah, that's right. People watching. Um, part of this is also just, you know, trying to blend in and not being, you know, the, the crazy gringo who's just standing out um, from everybody else and trying to blend in just a little bit. But it's interesting when, when we would watch people, when, or when I would watch people, I recognize that many things that I would look at and be like, man, well, why do you do that? That those are actually the same things that I do here in the United States. 
You know, it's, it's things like, like, you know, I would, I would love to spend more time with my family, but, you know, I got to work this job, you know, so I can provide for my family. Like, that's a, that's a good thing, right? You know, it's, it's things like, you know, I would love to pray for that coworker. You know, I would love to pray for them, but I just don't want them to feel awkward. It's, it, it was times of like, you know, I, I can see this, you know, this small business that I really have in my heart. And, and, you know, I would love to, I'd love to start on it, but I just don't feel like I have the right training. And so I, I'm just going to put it off another couple years. It's funny, I, I would hear these things in Belize, and I'd be like, that's the dumbest excuse I've ever heard. Just do this, do that. Like, come on, come on, pull yourself together. And then I'd start to realize, no, these are the exact same excuses that I have in my own life. It's just that I've validated them because it's what I'm familiar with. But when I break down the familiar, I discover that excuses are the very thing that keep us from expanding. Let me say that one more time. Excuses are the very thing that keep us from expanding. The verse that I want to focus on tonight is Philippians chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. This is Paul speaking here. He says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Philippians chapter 1, verse 20 and 21 um, is, is talking about this concept of hope. Now, I'm sure that many of you guys are familiar with verse 21. To live is Christ and to die is gain. But I think it's critically important that whenever we study a passage of Scripture, that we recognize what, um, you know, what's going on here. We have to get a holistic understanding of the surrounding verses. And so when we look at, when we look at Paul, he's most likely writing this from some sort of imprisonment. Now, historians can't quite agree on which imprisonment it was. Um, Paul had done mo- multiple times in prison. Uh, Paul would probably not be up here on the stage today because the man had done some time. Uh, Paul would probably not be your first pick for your guest speaker on the second Sunday of the year. Um, we'll, we'll just say that. But most people would probably agree that um, he's writing this from his Roman imprisonment. And what's significant about this is that this is his last imprisonment. He is waiting his future trial and later his execution. And so if there was ever a time for Paul to throw in the towel, this was it. It's like, Paul, you had a good run. You preached the gospel throughout all the Mediterranean, but it appears your time has kind of come to an end. But as we look at verse 20, we recognize this is not a retirement speech by Paul. No, he says, I am eagerly expecting and hoping. Now, the Greek word that he uses here to describe hope is slightly different than what we see in the rest of the New Testament. The Greek word he uses here is actually only used twice in the entire New Testament, and it's the Greek word apokaradokia. And when we translate, when we break that down, what it means is apo, meaning leaning, kara, meaning head, and dokia, meaning looking. And so what Paul has actually done, he's actually transformed this word of, you know, I'm hoping, and it's actually become this this eager expectation, this longing. It's like 
a son that has his face pressed up against the window waiting for his father to come home from work so they can play with that new Christmas toy. It's like when you're sitting at the lunch table and you hear that, that juicy secret from the, other, from the other table and you kind of perk your ears up just a little bit and kind of tend to block out everything else so you can hear the big news. This is the type of hope that Paul is talking about. Now, hope is comprised of three things, a desire, an object, and an expectation. The desire is the fuel for our hope. It's maybe a desire for comfort, maybe a desire for acceptance, a desire for, um, a desire to provide. And whatever that desire is, I think it's critically important that we recognize that the way we fuel our desire is we have to be in connection with the Father. And the way we do that is through prayer. And so I, I just want to give a shout out to what we are doing here on Tuesday nights and where we are dedicating Tuesday nights in the month of January to seeking him, to seeking what God is doing. That's how we continue to build that desire within our life. A desire is not a bad thing. And so the second thing that we see within hope is the object. The object is what we believe will fulfill that desire. Maybe it's a Maybe it's a car, maybe it's a cell phone, maybe it's a house, maybe it's a boyfriend or girlfriend, come on somebody. Um, but it's something that we believe will fulfill that desire. And so lastly is the expectation. And this is the how and when we believe that this, this desire will be met. So this begs the question, as we look at Paul in verse 20 and 21, what is, he, what is the desire, the object, and the expectation? His desire is that he would not be put to shame. His desire is not that he would just have a comfy 401k retirement plan. His desire is not that they would build a Nordstrom down the street. His desire is not even just that his kids would make it through school. His desire is that he would not be put to shame, that Jesus Christ would be glorified through his life. It's interesting how your perspective changes when you're awaiting your execution. <laughs> but the reason why is because Paul had a confidence. And his confidence was based on what the prophet Isaiah had said 700 years prior and how he had told of what was coming and the life that Paul was now living in. See, Isaiah said in Isaiah 54 verse 4, it says, do not be afraid for you will not be put to shame. Do not fear disgrace for you will not be humiliated. See, has anybody been disappointed in life? I mean, you really got your hopes up for something and then it just, it just didn't quite come to pass. It marks you, right? It changes your perspective on things. Now, I, I want to just take a moment here and, and I want you to think about what was your biggest disappointment in the last year? I, I know, I know we've been having a, a good time, a fun time here talking about Belize. But what was the biggest disappointment that you've, you've gone through in this last year? Maybe, maybe you didn't get accepted to the school that you thought you deserved. Maybe you were overlooked for that promotion at work. Maybe the relationship that you thought was, was going somewhere, it just didn't quite work out. Maybe you were believing God for a miracle and it, it just didn't quite happen the way you thought it was going to. And so what happens? Disappointment sets in. The disappointment sets in, and what does disappointment do? 
it obstructs our hope. It causes us to say, you know what, the next time, man, I, I don't know if I want to go down that road again. You know, I, I'm going to kind of taper my expectations just a little bit so I can protect myself from disappointment. But check out what Paul says here in Romans chapter 5, verse 2. He says, and we boast, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, if I had written this, in my humble opinion, okay, maybe not that humble, but if I had written this, I would have said hope is what motivates us to endure suffering and, and persevere through suffering so that we can produce character. And character is the goal because, like, that's a good thing. Like, if you post that on Facebook, you can get a lot of likes, you know? You're gonna be, people are going to be like, man, that's some, that's some good advice. Only problem is that's not what Paul said. What Paul said is that sufferings produce perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character produces hope. Paul knew that a hope that has not been tested through the fire and trials of life cannot stand. Paul knew that hope is actually the ultimate goal. That we're actually working towards having a hope that is solidified, that is anchored. And that only can happen when we have walked through the times of challenge. It's actually the times of challenge that refine and define our hope. That's the only way our hope can withstand the trials of life is when we have persevered and developed character and now it has a firm foundation where we can build a life that counts. There's always going to be something that obstructs your hope. There's always going to be something that's going to creep in. Like I would love to stand up here and tell you like, hey, you know what? Like, man, <laughs> your life for the, next, for the next three years is going to be great. Not going to have any issues. But there's always going to be something that's going to obstruct your hope. Maybe in this last year, maybe, maybe the lockdowns like halted the progress of your business. Maybe, maybe you, were, you, know, you, were, you were finally starting to work out and eat right. And, and, and then you had to you know, do a two-week quarantine. And, and everyone knows you can't do push-ups at home. I mean, I mean, I certainly don't. Maybe you were finally building that bank account. And then that unexpected medical bill came in. And you were like, come on, you got to be kidding me. Like now of all times, of all times, like right now, God, like really, really, this is how you're going to treat me? It's like when you're playing those, like those old school video games, and, and I, I know I'm reliving my childhood here, but you've been playing that video game all day, you know, you've like basically beat the game, but you, you know, it, it's time to go eat dinner or something like that, and, and so, you know, you're saving all your progress to that little memory card, and on the screen it says, do not turn off console. And so it's saving, it's saving. But then your mom, you know, yells, hey, we got pizza rolls. And so your friend's like, oh, let's go. And he switches off the console. And you lose everything. And you're like, no, I quit. I'm never playing this game ever again. My progress is gone. I'm done. You slam the controller down. You're like, this is, this is it. This is it. Why? Because disappointment had set in. And when disappointment sets in, it causes us to not want to build back. I got to take a drink of water. 
So hope is going to be tested over time. Now, the only way that we can protect ourselves from disappointment is to recognize where our hope can truly be, truly be, have a firm foundation. And the only place that that happens is when our hope is in Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus Christ gives us a hope with a purpose. And I just want to speak to anyone under the age of 25 here. Purpose does not come from freedom. I, I love freedom. Here in America, we invented freedom. But purpose does not come from freedom. Purpose comes from responsibility. That's right. Purpose comes from responsibility. See, in November, we started, um, we, we did the first ever ladies table talk um, in Belize. Uh, technically, it actually was illegal to have such a gathering um, at that time in, in Belize. But we, we just found ourselves seeing so many young people like suffering in isolation that we we're like, okay, we can't just, you know, sit on our hands and not do anything. Like, we got to do something. We got to do something. And so we held this event, and, and it was a pretty small event. It was only like 40 people, but we, the biggest win for us was actually seeing these young men and women who were on our team who stepped up and boldly stepped into responsibility and served that entire weekend with us. They stayed up late, late, late on Friday night, and then they served all day Saturday. Why? So someone else could hear about the hope of Jesus Christ. There's this one girl, her, her name's Lily, and she texted us the following day, and she said, I know I have a lot going on, but making time for God is one of the most best things I've ever done. Her, her words, not mine. Don't tell my grammar teacher. It really touched my heart, and now I feel in my heart that I'm free and that God has a plan and a purpose for me. Once again, thank you for everything you guys have done. You all are like a family to me, and you bring happiness to my heart. Now, this would just be like an encouraging text, but it goes even further because two months prior, this girl, Lily, basically was dragged to our Activate Clubs. Like, she did not come by her own choosing. There was a, another girl who was very assertive, and she basically presented it that there was no option for her to, um, not to come. And so Lily, uh, you know, kind of agreed after, uh, after a while. But we, every time I would go to talk to this girl, Lily, I would, I'd, you know, try to find out about her life, and, and I was just really encouraged by her, but she would never look me in the eyes. There was this discouragement that was about her. And see, Lily is a, a bright and brilliant young girl. She actually wants to be a computer programmer so she can develop websites for small businesses in Belize. Like, she is, <laughs> I'm like blown away. I'm like, you did that? What? Like, that's impressive. But the problem is, is that for her, she doesn't have much hope because her family comes from the Mayamopan community, which is an impoverished area right outside of the capital city of Belmopan. And so for her, the odds of breaking this generational cycle of poverty within her family just seems insurmountable. That she could never, you know, step into what the world deems as a good life. But as I thought about this, I began to think, maybe the biggest issue is that we have defined what a good life is by the wrong metrics. We've said, how much money is in your bank account? How many followers you got on TikTok? I know, this is a multi-generational sermon right now. Um, and if our metric is off, then our 
criteria of what the world is going to say is always going to be misleading us. How can we ever know what a what our good purpose from God is going to be if we're always looking for what the world defines as good? Your purpose can only come from the unique responsibility that God has placed on your life. Now, in October, we, um, we began uh, a series on relationships. And in this series on relationships was really kind of sparked out of the fact that we've been going to Belize for six years and we've never seen a couple get married. I mean, I kid you not, like we've been there for six years. We're talking and walking through life with people and we've never seen a couple get married. But then as we thought about that more, okay, no one has a marriage that they would say they look up to. In a, in a lot of households, the father's not present. So how could we possibly expect for them to ever aspire to a godly and Christian marriage? Well, we're like, okay, I guess we need to talk about this. You know, it's not like here in America where it's like, you know, I heard, I heard little Billy was talking to little Sally, you know, baby, get a little scared. We better start a relationship series up there in the youth group. No, it, it wasn't like that at all. We were like, no, we need to actually talk about relationships because nobody's getting married. And so we started talking about relationships. And about that time, there was this young man named Jose who came and uh, and, and he started, um, he started coming about that time. And I don't know if Jose just heard we were talking about relationships. And he was like, you know, you know, maybe I'll get a relationship out of the deal. Maybe get a little girlfriend. Or, or if he just got tired of us inviting him. Um, see, Jose, Jose's father um, battles with alcoholism. And because of that, his, his income and job status just um, ebbs and flows. Um, and his, his mother's just extremely exhausted because um, his sister has a pretty severe disability. And so a lot of weekends, Jose um, is just trying to get out of the house. And so he would actually come up to our campus, and we'd play games. We'd be like, all right, Jose, you going to be there on Sunday? You going to make it? You going to make it? And, and he'd kind of look at us be like, okay, yeah, yeah, I guess, uh, I guess I'll finally come. And, and so uh, th- this one particular Sunday, we're sitting around in a group, and we ask the question, what's a gift that God has given you? What's a gift that God has given you? And we kind of come around the circle, and we come to Jose, and he kind of looks around the circle. He says, I, I know this might be a little bit different, but I really feel like the gift that God has given me is that I'm respectful and loyal. And it was in that moment that he recognized that he didn't have to blend in to what everyone else was saying. He didn't have to just fit the narrative of what other people his age were thinking, you know, their gift was. It was in that moment that he actually stepped into a new relationship with God that was personal between him and God. And so that night when we prayed with everybody, man, something was sparked and ignited in his life. This fresh passion and zeal broke forth. And it's like, I I can't explain it. I I can't understand it. But there is something different about Jose now than there was six months ago. (laughs) <laughs> and so much so that this man has even begun to learn to play the guitar so that he can actually lead worship for others. This is what happens when you understand who the giver of all gifts is. James chapter 1 um, says that every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights. See, when you understand who the giver of all good gifts is, it gives us a fresh hope. And that fresh hope reveals 
how to purpose your gift. Now, I don't know if that's speaking to anyone here tonight, but perhaps the reason your, your gift hasn't quite panned out the way you thought it was going to is because you've actually been purposing that gift the wrong way. See, a hammer is a great tool, but it makes a real lousy screwdriver. And a chainsaw is great at trees, but if you're trying to mow the lawn with that thing, I mean, like, like what are you going to do, one blade of grass at a time? Like, that's going to take you a long time. Now, the truth is, you don't have to go, you don't have to go, you know, a thousand miles away just so that you can, just so that you can unleash your gift. Now, you, you don't, you, you can unleash your gift here today. You can start your gift here today. You don't have to, you know, have a special degree. No. God has a, a gifting for you to deploy here in your city, in your family, in your life group. Now, is there going to be a sacrifice? Yeah, probably. Probably. <laughs> but I know that anything that ever has value is going to cost you something. That's the surest way to tell if something doesn't have value. It's when it doesn't cost you anything. And so may I propose to you today that perhaps it's time to hope again and allow God to repurpose our gift. I, I want to share just one final story with you guys here this evening, and then we're going to be done. There's a story about a young man named Juan. And, and Juan noticed that when we first moved uh, to Belize, that I would go on a run early in the morning. Um, notice how I spoke in the past tense. Uh, shortly thereafter, I recognized that it's about 90 degrees, 100% humidity at 6 a.m., so I haven't run in months. But man, I started off great. So Juan comes up to me and says, Mr. Adam, I want to go on a run with you tomorrow morning. I'm like, don't call me mister. Like, that makes me feel old. He, he looks up at me and goes, but, but Adam, you are old. I said, thank you very little. Well, meet me at the bottom of the hill tomorrow morning, 6 a.m. We'll, we'll find out who's old. So, so we meet down there, and, and we take off running. And let me just say, those are the fastest I've ever taken off. And after about 400 yards, he's like, all right, Mr. Adam, well, I'm good. I'm good. Let's walk. Let's take a break. I'm like, yeah, I showed him. But as we walked, the Holy Spirit began to unpack some of Juan's life. See, Juan basically has no relationship with his earthly father and had no idea of his whereabouts. When he was 11 years old, his, his mother tragically passed away in a car accident. And his stepfather passed away shortly thereafter. But the story gets worse from there. His, his older brother then sexually abused him. And because of that, the Belizean government actually stepped in and removed him from his home. They placed him in the foster care system. Now, the foster care system's not like what it is here in the States. And, and so he was placed in a, a property and basically just given a closet where he had to live. And, and was basically expected to, to clean the entire property on a, on a daily basis. And so after a couple of years, he, he, he ran away said, I'm done, I'm, I'm running away, and he, he returned back to his home, only to find out that many of the possessions that he owned had been stolen and sold for drugs and alcohol and other things associated with witchcraft, which is actually, actually pretty common in that village. But through God's sovereignty, we got introduced to Juan. 
we got introduced to Juan, and let me just tell you, through the last five months, we have begun to walk through life and walk in relationship with this young man. Now, I'd love to tell you that, man, we did an altar call one time at an activate club. He raised his hand, and it's been all daisies and roses ever since. Never had another issue. But that's just not the truth. There's been hard things that we've walked through. I can't tell you the number of conversations that we'd have at our dinner table late, late, late into the night. Not talking about theology, not talking about, you know, this or that, but just processing. Just processing real life. And time after time, one keeps on coming back to this Hebrews 11 faith. It's this verse that states, now faith is the confidence in what we hope for, the assurance about what we do not see. There's not a day that goes by that one isn't reminded of his past, that he isn't tempted by the enemy. But time after time, one chooses to have that assurance in Jesus Christ. He's chosen to place his hope in Jesus Christ, so much so that he has actually chosen to actually bring other young men and women into his life. And he's actually using his story now to reach other young men and women and invite them to be a part of Be the One in Belize. That's what the power of hope does. Hope changes us. And so maybe today, maybe today for you, it's time to hope again. It's time to have that Apokara Dokia hope. That hope that I don't care what everyone else says. That I'm not ashamed of what people might think about me. Because I know where my hope stands. Now, I, I can't promise you that you won't have some legitimate excuses in this next year. In fact, I can probably tell you that anyone who just put their hope in 2021 just saying, well, this year will be better. You know how, you know how that ended out for them? They were disappointed. Why? Because there's only one hope that this earth has ever known. There's only one hope that this planet has ever known, and it's a bold hope. His name is Jesus Christ, and he wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to walk with you. He wants to climb every mountain with you. He wants to walk through every valley with you. He wants to just live life with you. He's not discouraged with you. He's not frustrated with you. He's not disappointed in you. He's not saying, you, you should be further along by now. No, he wants to walk step and step and step with you. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear how this message impacted you. Feel free to let us know on the Contact Us tab of the house website. We hope you have a great week.